The reading today comes from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray as we open God's words to us this morning. Father, we thank you for this new year. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to reflect on um, what's coming um, in the rest of the year and uh, commitments that we perhaps might be making this year. And so we pray that as we um, open your word that you will speak to us, that you will guide us, and that you may help us to be able to um, make a commitment to be able to love you more passionately, to rekindle our love for you this year. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. What are you crazy about? Over the last 10 days, uh, I had the privilege of hosting about 10 Kenyans. Uh, These are Kenyans who have come to New Zealand over the last um, couple of months or couple of years. They are here as missionaries uh, in different parts of the country. And we invited them to come to us and we hosted them. Uh, we provided meals and we had, we had played games and we traveled around uh, uh, South Island uh, with them. And it was obvious in the time that we spent with them what they are crazy about. They are crazy about goat meat. And my only disappointment and regret is that I wasn't able to provide goat meat for them. I just couldn't find goats. Over Christmas, so I, I felt really uh, disappointed that um, I was not able to fulfill one of their greatest um, uh, passions um, for the Kenyans. Ke- goat meat is a delicacy in Kenya, and so uh, when we are traveling around the West Coast, they would, see, they would sort of see a paddock full of goats, and they would, you could see them sort of thinking, oh. a, few, a few people had to repent <laughs> after that. One of the things I've become uh, passionate about lately over the last six months or so is running. Um, I never really used to be a runner. Um, I'm a disappointment for my Kenyan race who are good marathon runners because I'm not a good runner. But over the last few months, I decided to, to take up running. And I've, I'm discovering that I actually love it. Um, and, you know, I've discovered that if you, if you love something, you actually make time for it. So I, I had uh, even the Christmas season a couple of times when I actually went for a run, which, which, was, which was really good. Have you made New Year resolutions? Um, you know, uh, Neil was asking us a little bit earlier. We still have, um, it's still January, so, you know, and in New Zealand, the year really begins in February. So you still have a bit, couple of weeks to um, make up your um, New Year resolutions. And so this, 
today I was thinking about, you know, it's the beginning of the year, you know, probably we've been going through holidays, you know, what, what can I say that will, will be of help, help to us as we think about the year? And, and I'd like to make a suggestion that, you know, uh, there is one, although people don't like making New Year, New Year resolutions because, you know, they feel like they might fail or they might never achieve them by the, by the end of the year, but it's one that we can make that we, I believe will be a, a worthwhile New Year resolution, and that is drawing closer to Jesus this year. Um, a commitment to be able to love Jesus more and draw closer to him. And so that's what I want to talk about today, about our love for Jesus in 2017. And I want to use the image of the African fireplace uh, just to help us understand or, um, this passage from Revelation chapter 2. And so there's an um, a image that's going to come up um, on the screen about the African fireplace. Um, I grew up in a village in Kenya, and we used um, the African fireplace to cook. So you had to have a pot, um, often made out of clay, and you would use it to cook your meal. And you needed three cooking stones to be able to make your, your meal. You couldn't really uh, use, you can't make a meal with two stones. Or one stone, otherwise you're going to burn your, 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 you know, your fingers. So you need three stones so that you can balance the pot. And then you put firewood um, in the spaces between the three stones. And so this imagery will help us understand uh, our, our love for God uh, from this passage in Revelation 2. How will I do that? I will look at this passage. This is a letter of the uh, church of the Ephesus uh, by Apostle John writing and Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was one of the churches that Paul had planted and started. But unlike the other ch churches that Paul started, Ephesus had the additional privilege of being one of the churches where Paul actually stayed a bit longer. He pastored the church. He stayed there for three years. He loved this church. He poured his life into it. After he left them, continuing on his church planting journey, he wrote them a letter filled with rich teaching, the book of Ephesus, you know, talking about God's love for them and, and, and helping them understand how they can live for him. In Acts 20, we read that on his trip back to Jerusalem, Paul passed by there, and knowing that he may never see his friends in Ephesus, especially the elders, he wept with them, telling them, I have taught you everything I know that could be of help to you. And after Paul left, um, the church was pastored by Timothy, uh, Paul's spiritual son, someone that Paul himself had trained into leadership and into ministry. That was a double blessing. And if what scholars tell us and what Christian tradition tells us to then, after many years, this church was also under the oversight of Apostle John before he was um, exiled in, in Patmos. The, the, the one who writes this, this uh, book of Revelation. So, such great privileges, three great Christian leaders, Apostle Paul, Timothy, and perhaps John. Surely this church was destined to be a jewel in the crown. And yet, instead of receiving a crown from the Lord, it's one of the seven churches that received a warning. What could have gone wrong? The answer is in Revelation 2. Note, however, although this is a letter of warning and a, and a big challenge um, for us, it actually begins with two commendations. And those are the two of our first, you know, of our three cooking stones. So each, each stone represents an aspect of our love for God. And so I'll, I'll take us through the first one. The first cooking stone in our, in our love for God is knowledge. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, verse 2, and have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. When it came to knowing 
Jesus and knowing God. This church had this cooking stone in place. Their love for him was expressed through how much they knew him. In verse 6 again, we read, you, hate, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of Nicolaitans. Uh, we don't know too much about these Nicolaitans, but these are people who followed the practices of Nicholas. And obviously, it, they were not really good practices because Jesus says that I also hate those practices. But love begins with knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation of love. In fact, that's why, you know, um, we, when, you, when you love someone, you want to get to know them. You want to know, know what they like, what they don't like. You, you want to know when you're buying them a gift, you want to know what, you know, what gift would be appropriate. I'm sure, you know, over the Christmas period, you know, we had a bit of that, trying to figure out what gift would be appropriate for, um, you know, for, for a particular person. We did a secret Santa for, for our family and it took me quite a bit of time trying to figure out, you know, what to buy. I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, I do like to go to a shop when I know what I want to buy, and I go straight for it. I remove all distractions, and, and I buy it. But over Christmas, it was a bit difficult trying to figure out what, what to buy uh, for my family. Um, but I did get there in the end. But, you know, love, know, knowing, knowing somebody, you know, um, is, you know, helps you to be able to express your love for them. And when you love them, you, know, you want to know a little bit more about them so that you can, um, you know, um, please them. And that's why I believe that it's whether, whether it's our love for, for our friends or for God, for our spouse, it is when we think we know it all that we no longer seek, no longer yearn, no longer desire, no longer probe, no longer search, no longer want to know. And that sort of hunger and desire to want to know could actually disappear when we think we know. But God commands the church in Ephesus because when it came to knowledge, they had done well. They knew God, they knew his ways, they knew what he likes, what he doesn't like. They were able to test false doctrine and prove it false. When it came to knowledge and doctrine, this church had it all together. I don't know whether you, and I've shared this before here, but um, you've, you, you heard of the Bible Society research a couple of years ago, which revealed that about a third, more than a third of New Zealand children have never read, heard, or seen the story of Jesus' birth. A third, two-thirds can't recall the story of Daniel in the lion's den. These are New Zealand kids, you know, Bible society did their research. Three-quarters haven't heard the story of the Good Samaritan. That's quite, you know, startling statistics when you think about a country, you know, where we can, the Bible is available to us. It's not like, you know, there's persecution when we read the Bible, but, you know, kids are growing up in New Zealand without knowing the Bible. But the good news is that just about half of Kiwi parents thought that the Bible stories were important for their children because they provided good values for life. And 40% of children when asked in this research indicated they'd love to hear, read, and see more Bible stories. So that's good news, you know, that there's a desire for knowledge. And so here we, you know, I, I travel around New Zealand quite a bit, and you know, the sense I get, I actually feel very privileged to be a part of St. Stephen's community because we get really solid, good teaching each week here in this church. It is a privilege to be able to actually hear God's word broken down to us, uh, go to equip conference and, and hear, you know, understand more about the Bible. It is not everyone in New Zealand who has that opportunity. So we've got the opportunity to be able to grow in our knowledge of God and his word. But are we like the Ephesians, able to recognize the subtle deception of secularism around us? Does this knowledge, has it led us to be able to, you know, like the church in Ephesus, um, know how to test what is right and what is false? And do we, do we yearn to, to know God more? 
uh, as an expression of our love for him. So this church in Ephesus knew God, knew his ways, and were able to test false doctrine. And that was the expression of their love for him. That's the first of our African um, three cooking stones. The second one is service. The second stone was also in place because as we read, Jesus says to them, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. That those are words, you know, one word to summarize all those things is service. They were not only commended for their knowledge of God, but they were also commended because of their service. If knowledge is the foundation of love, then service is the fruit of love. How did Jesus show his love for the disciples? He washed their feet. How does he want us to show our love for him? He wants us to serve him. When it came to service, the church in Ephesus had done well. Now I know there are many here who will be commended by Jesus because you have served faithfully each week. Often unnoticed, but you know you serve, you pray. You, you seek out people who are lonely and, and you visit them. You, you prepare meals for people. You come early to set up and, and stay late to you know, set down. I mean, there, I, know, I know there are lots of people here whom Jesus would commend and say, you know, well done, good and faithful servants. You have served well. But this church in Ephesus had not only served well, but they had persevered through difficult times without giving up. Jesus commends them also for their perseverance. What hardships have you had to endure in the name of Christ? One of the tragedies of modern Christianity is our emphasis on happiness and prosperity as opposed to suffering. We sort of seem to almost think that Christianity and suffering don't go together. But this efficient church is commended for persevering, perhaps even suffering for the name of, Jesus, for the name of Christ. As we think about 2017, um, what areas of service is Jesus inviting you to consider? With the gifts he's given you, with the, with the um, you know, um, skills he's given you, perhaps one of the ways you could express your love for him this year is to make a commitment to serve more. And so this second place was in stone. Uh, second, second stone was in place for the church in Ephesus. But it was the third stone, this of our three cooking um, stones for the African fireplace that was missing. And without it, this other first two stones were not enough. Have a look at verse 4. Jesus says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What in the world could Christ possibly be talking about here? You've forsaken your first love. These are people who know God. They know his word. They contest false doctrine and know what is right and what is false. These are people who are serving faithfully and even suffering for the name of Christ. Why is Jesus saying that you've forsaken your first love? What is going on here? I think the best word to describe what they lacked, perhaps, is the word passion. You see, their doctrine was in place. They were doing the right things. They had zeal, they had, but they lacked passion. They lacked this sense of wonder. Their doctrine perhaps had become dry knowledge, and their deeds perhaps a matter of routine. God had perhaps become too familiar. No passion, no feelings, no emotions anymore. The, the word first love doesn't necessarily mean the love that necessarily you know, they had at the beginning. Often we, at the beginning of our Christian lives, you know, we, we sort of really have this childlike love and faith in God and trust in God. 
Um, and it could, you know, for some that's true. You, know, you sort of begin your Christian journey with a, a real commitment to love God, to tell everybody about Jesus. And as you get older in your, in, your, in your Christian walk, you sort of begin to become more skeptical and a bit more apathetic. You know, the more you know, the more you become. That childlike faith disappears. And, and it, perhaps it could mean that. This first love could mean that sort of first initial uh, childlike um, uh, faith that we had in God. But um, some people tell me that uh, love grows uh, deeper as you get older. And so, like wine, you know. So perhaps it may not necessarily mean that at the beginning of Christian walk you love God more than you are now. You know, as you get older in your walk with Christ, you're, you're loving him more. So it's not so much the chronology of your love for God as it is the quality of your love. It's, it's the quality of our love rather than the stage of it. It is talking about whether my love for Jesus has, is a fa- has its first place, whether it is undivided love. As Matthew 22:37 says, you know, we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus wants our undivided love. Why? He loved us to the extent of laying down his life for us. And he wants us to live for him. Because he knows that in him we have everything. He gives us life in abundance. So he wants us to love him all that we have uh, to love him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 13-15, If we are out of our minds, if we look a bit crazy, as some say, it is for God. If, it's, if we are in our right minds, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. This whole idea of living for God, being crazy about Jesus. Living for him with outrageous love because we know something of the depth of his shameless love for us. You have forsaken your first love. That sort of quality, depth of love, you've forsaken. And the word forsake, you know, means to abandon, to leave, to depart from. Because we found something else perhaps more attractive. You get, you know, that sense of almost like an affair. In Hebrews 13:5, the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But it is us who, who leave the Lord. The Lord doesn't leave us. He's, he's got an undivided commitment as we sang a little bit earlier, the promise we have in him, he will never leave us nor forsake us. His love for us um, cannot, can never be taken away from us, but we can leave him. We can forsake our love for him. It is possible to leave the Lord, our rock, our God, our life giver. The word forsake is used a lot in the Bible in the context of the people of Israel forsaking God and following other gods or trusting other things. In Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so it is possible for us to actually trust other things and put other things first and make them the priority. And so of this relationship with Jesus, it becomes second, second um, level. And often the, the forsaking is not necessarily sudden. It's not like, you know, one day you wake up and decide, from now on, I'm not going to love Jesus anymore. I've had it. I've done my dash. Done. It's not that. It's this idea that Jay talks about there. Well, it's the idea of drifting. This forsaking can be gradual, drift, slowly drift, where the Bible is not read anymore, where prayers are not made anymore, where there's a sense of apathy growing, 
about people who are a little bit more crazy about Jesus, you know, who sort of lift their hands singing in worship or do crazy things. And, you know, I'm not one of those. And it, it could easily sort of begin to become a gradual drifting away from that childlike passion, desire for God. Your doctrine may be right, you may know a lot of truth, your service may be right, you may be diligent and may have persevered, but without passion, knowledge can become dry doctrine, and without passion, service can become duty. It's amazing how much we can do for God without loving him. But passion turns dry doctrine into exciting opportunities for discovery, and duty into opportunity to joyfully express love. All these things we do, you know, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's serving, are supposed to come as an outflow of our love for God, you know, from inside out rather than from outside inside. So does your heart long for God, and, or does your work feel a bit like drudgery and duty at the beginning of 2017? Do you have a passion for God the way you have a passion for other things? Is Christ your first love? What preoccupies your mind and conversations? You know, back in Kenya, one of the things that um, I kind of miss is that, you know, when people um, meet one another, they, they talk about various things. They'll talk about, you know, family and catch up and everything. But they also talk about um, spiritual stuff. Um, you know, like what is God doing in your life right now? What, what, what sort of, ch- what challenge have you come across lately as you read the Bible? It's very common in ordinary conversations to talk about the things that Jesus is teaching you in Kenya. It's a bit harder in New Zealand to do that. It's possible for people to gather for, for weeks on end and not talk about Jesus and not talk about the Bible and not talk about the things that they are learning from God. How can that be important to us and not talk about it? It doesn't sort of show up anywhere in our, in our conversations, whether it's family conversations, whether it's friends' conversations or whatever it is. How come it doesn't show up? Could apathy and lack of passion explain why there's perhaps few Christians um, reaching out to neighbors um, talking about God? Could it explain why maybe Christianity is dying in some areas? Could it explain why you know, we find it a bit harder to have confidence in the gospel? Now, passion may mean different things for different people. Um, you may not, you know, for me, I, I do love to sing and I love to dance and I love to lift my hands. I'm becoming a bit more tame um, in, in recent years in New Zealand um, when I find I'm the only one and I don't want to... Um, I don't want to offend people who prefer not to worship God in that way. But, you know, people are different. For David, it was a lot of music and dancing. He wasn't afraid to dance, even when, you know, other people thought he was a bit crazy. Uh, you know, Psalms and, and time alone in the wilderness with God. That was how he expressed his passion for God. Paul, too, was different. His passion comes through the words he penned. You know, when he talks about the depth and wide and, and the, and the great, greatness of God's love, using expansive superlatives to express his obvious awe and devotion for God. For the woman in Luke 17, it, you know, it meant breaking conventional norms and customs to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. That was the way she expressed her passion for the Lord. It may mean pouring for you. It may mean pouring your life into prayer and Christian service, even in your old age. It may mean starting to gather with people, a group of people to disciple them. Whatever it means, the question is not how you express your passion. Is do you have the passion anymore? You know when you have it. You know what captures your attention. You have forsaken your first love. And so, 
Jesus continues to say, verse 5, remember, through three words used here, in terms of how can we then rekindle this passion, or how, you know, as we begin 2017. Three words, remember, verse 5, uh, repent, and then do the things, or, you know, we do, or, or recommit. Um, so re- remember. Remember, what do you remember? You remember how you started changing. What are the trigger points? You know, they tell you, you know, if you're sort of prone to depression or whatever, look for the trigger points. What are the trigger points for you spiritually to begin to go down that trend of apathy, of indifference, of lack of passion? Remember, look back. When did you start drifting? Identify the passion killers. It could be affluence, pressure, security, perhaps being politically correct. I went to a wedding, yes, uh, not a wedding actually, I went to a wedding on Friday in Auckland and yesterday I went to a funeral, so I'm confusing the two because uh, a wedding and a funeral, um, different mixed emotions. But I went to a funeral yesterday and, and the person who died uh, served with uh, CMS on mission in Tanzania for over 23 years, uh, Warren Parker. Uh, died on Tuesday, and uh, some of you may know him, and went to his funeral, and, and the thing that almost everybody, all the tributes people talked about him was the fact that he, he didn't care about being politically correct. You, you, you knew that, you know, when he spoke, he didn't have to please anybody. He was, he, he, he almost always said things that were impolitically correct, and, and influenced people. People were endeared to him because of that. Um, so people don't like people who are not, in, you know, who are not who are like that in politically correct. But you know, perhaps because we wanted to become politically correct, we want to please people who want to say the right things. We may we may have started drifting, and our passion may be gone. And so we can look at that and say, you know, what what are the passion killers? And then repent of the apathy, of the idols, of the things that have taken the place of God. And then finally, redo. Some of us can remember a time when our love for God was at a great place. It's time to get back to that place, and even more. It's time to recapture this sense of wonder, um, which um, I'm the sort of a person who, because I'm kind of, uh, I like to um, I do everything fast. I speak fast. Some of, I'm losing some of you now because I'm speaking very fast. I speak fast, I drive fast, I walk fast, I run fast. Um, it's easy for me, as I've traveled over the last 10 days in, in South Ireland, to actually miss a sense of wonder, the beauty of New Zealand. I mean, you, you've traveled a bit, I mean, and, and there's some places you go to and they're just absolutely amazing. They're breathtaking. And because I want to sort of get my best time running, you know, get my best time doing stuff, I could easily miss the sense of, wow, look at this breathtaking you know, scenery. And I'm learning in the midst of, you know, moving every fast to pause and have a sense of wonder at what God has created. And it's the same thing spiritually. You know, as we um, walk with God, to have a sense of wonder. You know, last week Jay talked about the thankfulness, to, to be, you know, to actually recognize rain. You talk about rain, to recognize the, the gift of God has given us. And to be, because as we do that, as we pause and soak it in, passion will begin to be rekindled in our lives again. Rekindling the fire, rearranging our priorities, refocusing our energies, recalibrating our convictions, recreating rhythms that energize us spiritually each week. That's what we are invited by Jesus to do, to rekindle our first love, redo the things you did at first. But perhaps some of you have never been, cannot remember a time when you are close to God at all. Uh, you cannot remember a time when you ever committed your life to Christ. Maybe you've never actually made a commitment to follow Jesus. 
even for the first time. As 2017 begins, this could be the year where you make a commitment to follow Jesus. This could be the year where you say, I want to I know this Jesus. I want to invest in reading the Bible and getting to know him. If that's something you'd like to do, if you'd like someone to pray for you, I'll be at the back at the end of the service. Please come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and help you on, on that journey of beginning uh, a new walk with Jesus, um, the one who died for you. But this is only a beginning. Beyond these three uh, things, you know, re- remember, repent, redo. There's a world of discovery that awaits us. There's much more that God wants to show us about loving him passionately. And so the Lord invites us today to recapture the sense of wonder, to rekindle our passion for him. Will you make this year the year that you decide to walk closer to, to Jesus, to love him more, and to trust him no matter what? I felt I should also say here, because it sounds as if, as I speak like this, that it's something you do. This is not something you do. This is something you receive. I felt I should say, as, as being on 2017, some of us feel like, you know, every time we've tried to do this, we've, we've met, we encountered so many setbacks, we don't even know how to begin that journey. I felt I should say this. Jesus awaits you to fill you with his love. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom is given to us. It's not what you do. It's, 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 as, as 2017 begins, God wants you to learn to receive his grace, because he wants to fill you with his love. He wants to pour his love in your life so that it just overflows. So it's not something you do, it's something you receive, because it comes from him. Okay, let me pray. Thank you, Lord, that it is not we who loved you first, but you loved us first and gave your life for us. So help us, Lord, to respond to your love with white hot passion, white hot faith, that knows no bounds. Pour your love afresh in us, a love that melts our fears away. When we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, our riches gain we will count but loss and pour contempt on all our pride. While the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, love that demands my life, my love, my all. Love that is such a daring force, a catalyst that will push me out to make a difference for you in the world. A love that gives, gives, and gives fully. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, the one who shamelessly loved us, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you would rekindle your love for us, within us. You'd rekindle our love for you within us. Help us to see how much you love us so that we can love you back. And may this 2017 be a year where we will be able to pour our lives out for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.